When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Welcome to the preview for the Partially Examined Life, episode 266, part two on Jonathan Lear's essay, Inside and Outside the Republic, from his book, Open-Minded, 1998. The chunk I'm going to play you is actually from the middle of our recording, where we start to tease out the idea that these distinct parts of the soul, the rational, the appetitive, and the spirited can have causal efficacy on each other because they all ultimately are built out of the same thing. There's an idea that comes from Freud, everything is libido, so we start arguing about that here, and that argument continues after this clip. I wanted to remove at least this much behind the paywall, set it before you, because I think it's pretty philosophically central. Enjoy. Plato's picture seems to be between parts that are in conflict, right? Parts of the soul or individuals in society. And when you open up this idea of information transfer, then it's like the parts actually interpenetrate each other. Political fights are not just a bunch of isolated individuals competing for dominance. And some of them are ruled by reason and some of them are ruled by thumos and some of them are ruled by, it seems like the thumos people would win every time (laughs) if that was really the case. But the Logos people can convince the Thumos people of something. So the Thumos people can then realize that it is their proper place to let the Logos people call the shots and for them to play their part. So that information transfer, that what actually takes the form in Plato's Republic of the noble lie of telling the guardians that the state is their parent and that they don't have individual parents and that they're all brothers and sisters, all this stuff. It is literally a lie, but there is some truth about it, and it is used to form those people into rationally regulating their thumos-controlled natures. And that's typical of how the parts are going to have to interact with each other, not merely in conflict. There's a seeming contradiction in that if you have a just city within the appetitive class, must itself be able to be reasonable, right? They have to be able to do their tasks, They have to be able to obey the rulers. And in general, right, if appetitive people have to be able to do hypothetical reasoning involved in getting what they want. To be an appetitive person doesn't just mean to be dominated by the appetitive part of one's psyche or to be completely identified with that. And the reason why is that the appetitive part of us is formed by developmental influences. Culture can permeate. Lear says, and it informed the lower elements of the psyche. And so, for instance, we might be brought up to have just the necessary appetites, but not the unnecessary ones. We might be brought up so that our appetites are more directed to what is genuinely good for us. So there is a way in which the appetitive parts can be shaped to be responsive to reason, right? They can fit with the rational part of our soul better because they've been shaped that way developmentally, right? So this is Aristotle's habituation, right? If we are habituated early on, if our appetites are habituated and that part of our soul is constituted correctly, yes, there is a sense in which there's a logisticon to the appetites. And certainly there is more harmony between the appetites and the rational part of the soul. 
if there's good cultural templates to internalize. We focus on the logistical part of the soul, taming the appetitive part of the soul. But there's also the appetitive part of the soul developing the erotic dispositions of the logistical part of the soul. You could either read it as, well, there's an appetite of our reason that's reaching out desires certain things. I guess that's the way to read it. We were, we're saying that there's a, a way in which the appetitive part of the soul is accessible to and can be touched by reason. And reason can also be touched by and fundamentally affected by appetites. And there would be a cultivation, a kind of habituation of reason to be properly sensitive in the right way to the appetites of the mind. So we would habituate our own physical appetites by proper education through reason. We would also be cultivating our minds through proper education of our appetites. Yeah, well, this is spot on because this is in in large part what we mean by internalization and identification. So for Freud, what we think of as the superego are not just the conscience, but also our ideals and our aspirations and the sorts of things that we associate with the thematic part of the soul. Freud calls that the representative of the id. But what that means is that the prohibitions and aspirations we develop involve pleasures. They are compensatory pleasures for the things we give up. And that's why for Freud, the resolution of the Oedipus complex it just is what it means to develop a conscience and a set of ideals. We give up the infantile and simply reaching after infantile satisfactions and we develop higher forms of libido. So we stop wanting the breast and we now we passionately we want to become a writer. And the same thing goes with the rational part of the soul. The rational is built up out of the libidinal as well when it's rational not to simply shove the food in my face as quickly as possible because I'll get a stomach ache. That's the reality principle, right? Well, that starts with libido. And then we get, how do we learn the reality principle? How do we learn the hypothetical reasoning? Well, we'd say, I don't want that future pain. <laughs> Therefore, I'm not simply going to obey the present desire right now. I start to be able to weigh present and future pleasure against each other. So sorry for the long speech. I'm just trying to illustrate the ways in which libido is the clay of the rest of the stuff and it's simply inaccurate you know when i talk about the superego to talk about that as something which is a separate part that lowers the boom on the appetites no this is all something going on within appetite as appetite gets more more and more structured and part of how it develops that structure is through psychological and social developmental processes if you take Plato seriously as being a philosopher of the erotic, then you understand, I think, and how much Eros permeates his philosophy, then you would completely understand why you would understand him as being a proto-psychoanalyst. But Eros is the literal translation of the appetitive part, right? In the Greek? Yeah. Yes, but just think back to the symposium. It's utterly clear that the desire for beauty and desire for the good and the philosophical inclinations are erotic inclinations it's the ladder of love mm -hmm. because it's driven by eros eros permeates everything and this is hume again as well right everything has to be motivated it's even aristotle right it's the first line of nicomachean ethics everything reaches out to know that is an erotic reading of the human soul i understand that if you're giving a freudian reading of plato then eros becomes the clay because even Logos is built out of Eros, 
I just feel like Plato himself would violently reject that characterization and think that maybe you could say Logos and Eros interpenetrate, but the fact that Logos is supposed to be the thing that ultimately is the leader, that it's more that Eros, despite itself, is going to always be drawn toward Logos or something like that, that they're not two separate forces. Eros is the steam and then Logos is the destination, right? Because rationality is, of course, an activity one can engage in, but it is also, for Plato, the good itself. It is inbuilt, directed to that. So I wouldn't say you build Logos out of Eros if that is the case. It is more that these are a single functioning organism that's ultimately under the rule of Logos. I mean, it's ultimately the tension that it's expressed between, you know, being and becoming. Mm-hmm. Logos is being, Eros is becoming. At least that's the way it seems to me. So to the extent that that's a complicated and difficult to unpack kind of dynamic, but the necessity of both, Mark, expresses that mutual need, if you will. I don't know, does becoming always aim at being? Like as if it is always trying to be being because it is, as in the Timaeus, literally a creation designed to duplicate being, but because of just the fact of embodiment, it can't actually do that. And that is the tragedy of Eros. I might immediately respond, yes. The, the point of becoming is always to become something, which is to say, to become something that is. But I think more in terms of talking about motive force, if Logos had the power to inspire and drive people to order their soul according to it, there would be no appetitive people or there would be no thematic people because Logos would have the power to do that. It's the fact that there's this motive force in the universe called Eros, which drives people away from Logos, that is itself necessary for creating the whole philosophic enterprise that points itself towards Logos. Yeah, that might just be another way of saying, again, that becoming tries to aim at being, but it is built into its design that it doesn't get there. It is not merely a byproduct that is not uncommon that things diverge from their path towards eternity, but that it is in fact the rule, maybe even the universal rule, that because we live in a created, finite, becoming, changing world, that everything does decay, in fact, and that's the tragedy. I would still stick with my interpretation, but it's what's tricky about trying to say which comes first is that to become human, to developmentally, to become who we are, is already to be run through with logisticon and run through with thumos right there is no outcome in which we don't naturally developmentally tend towards these internalizations and identifications and the development of the reality principle even if desire even if eros is the seed in that seed is a template for a natural unfolding of rational capacities and then the desire for recognition If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support and sign up for membership either on our site or on patreon.com slash partiallyexaminelife. Thanks for listening. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.